You're about to listen to the message portion of our May 24th online service. If you'd like to watch the entire service, you can do so on Instagram TV, YouTube, our Facebook page, or our website, horizonphilly.com. Let me tell you a story. Once, a long time ago, there was a merchant in Jerusalem who wanted to take a journey down to Jericho. Now the path down to Jericho was windy and steep with lots of switchbacks and turns and it was known to be full of robbers and thieves. So he got up early in the morning and he put his goods on the back of a donkey and he started down the trail. Now the trail was uh, rocky and slippery and steep and so he went slowly but he kept a careful eye on the sun because he didn't want to get caught on the trail at night. At midday, he stopped just briefly to eat, and then he continued on. And every tight or narrow corner, he looked around nervously to be sure there were no thieves or robbers or bandits. At one point, in the middle of the afternoon, he reached a very narrow pass. And as he started to dismount from his donkey and lead it through, all of a sudden, four men jumped out with clubs, surrounded him, and began to beat him. They beat him senseless until his blood flowed onto the road and they took his donkey and his goods. They stripped him of his clothes and left him naked and half dead on the side of the road. Now, shortly after this, a priest came by heading up to Jerusalem. Now, when he saw the man and the blood flowing out onto the street, he thought to himself, if I stop and help this man, I might miss my religious duties up in the temple. There are hundreds or even thousands of people waiting on me to perform my religious duties up at the temple. Why should I help this one man when going up to Jerusalem, I'm going to spiritually better many people? And so he said, you know what? The man's probably dead anyways. So that way he didn't feel so bad about passing by. And he carefully walked around the blood splatter and went up to Jerusalem. Now, shortly after this, a Levite began walking up the path and he saw the man laying on the side of the road and he thought to himself, this man is probably dead and if I touch him, I'll be declared ceremoniously unclean and I won't be able to perform my duties in the temple. And the Levites had a rotation where they would go up and serve in the temple and he says, I'm going to bring dishonor to my family because we weren't able to serve our segment of time in the temple because I dishonored myself by touching a dead body. He goes, the man might be alive, but maybe if I try to help him, he'll die in the process and then I won't be able to serve the Lord in the temple. And isn't serving the Lord in the temple more important than helping this man on the side of the road? And so he carefully walked around the blood splatter and went up to Jerusalem. Now next, a man from Samaria came and he noticed the man laying on the side of the road and he rushed to him at once and he felt his pulse and saw that he was still alive. And he began to bandage and up his wounds and he lifted the man onto his own donkey and he walked alongside him and took him down to Jericho. And there he paid for an inn and he paid an extra two weeks at the inn and he began to treat the man's injuries and he told the innkeeper, look, take care of him, give him whatever he needs, please medicate him and keep him well. And when he is healed up and ready to leave, if he spent more than I've given you, I'm going to travel back this way and I will pay his bill in full. Now, this story is probably one of the most famous parables 
that Jesus told. Even people who aren't religious at all have heard of the Good Samaritan. And we name all kinds of things. Like if someone just comes out of their way to help you change a tire, we call them a Good Samaritan. And we have hospitals like Good Samaritan Memorial Hospital. Uh, it's just become a common term in our everyday world. But when Jesus told this parable, it was actually highly controversial, and it has all kinds of controversial elements in it. The parable itself comes out of this passage in Luke chapter 10, and it starts like this in verse 25. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? And the man answered Jesus and said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Now this is interesting to me that this whole thing started because a man who was an expert in the law, this isn't mean he's a lawyer who uh, went out and fought legal cases. This was someone who was an expert in the Old Testament law, the Old Testament promises. He probably memorized a lot of our Old Testament Bible. He knew the scriptures very, very well. And he comes to Jesus with a trick question. What do I have to do to live a full, abundant life, a life that's going to live on beyond this life? And Jesus answers him, and he's like, you're the expert in the law. You tell me. What do you have to do? And the man says, love God, love others. Love God with everything in you, everything emotionally, intellectually, and physically, and love your neighbor. And Jesus said, that's absolutely right. That's what you have to do. And then the man does this interesting sidestep. He goes, uh, but who's my neighbor? Don't we do this exact same thing? This man was looking for a loophole in the teachings of Jesus because he was afraid of what it might ask him. And I do that. And I'm sure you do that too. We look for loopholes in the teachings of Jesus we don't like to try to get around them. Maybe you don't like what Jesus said about sexuality or what he said about generosity or what he said about possessions or a whole host of things where Jesus taught something that makes us squirm a little bit. Maybe something about loving your enemies or about forgiveness or maybe caring for the poor or the, uh, the sick, the infirm, the alien living in your land. Jesus said some things that are really hard to stomach. But it's in those moments, it's in the teachings of Jesus that we most want to avoid or find a loophole to get out of. Those are the places where we're, we're going to see our most dramatic spiritual growth when we actually obey them. See, the things of Jesus that we want to avoid are actually the very things we need to embrace to become more like him. There's things in the teachings of Jesus that I just find difficult or uncomfortable or I just don't want to do, don't find a loophole. Embrace them, begin to practice them, and you'll find that Jesus wasn't commanding these things because they were hard and he wanted to torture you. He was commanding them because they're the pathway, the gateway to abundant life here, now, and forever. Now this man asked this question at the end, who is my neighbor? And it's an important question that we have to wrestle with. But I love how Jesus turns the question at the end of this passage. 
So in verse 36, after Jesus tells the story, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, the teacher of the law replied. And then Jesus told him, go and do the same. Now, there's some interesting things going on here. First of all, the man asked, who is my neighbor? And Jesus turned the question and said, who acted neighborly? Jesus always did this. He constantly, when people asked him questions, he responded with a question. And there's so many elements at play here. One of them is that the Jewish people in Jesus' day hated Samaritans. Samaritans were half Jewish and half some other local native race to Palestine. And they were considered dogs and outcasts. Racism was extreme against Samaritans. People would spit on them or yell mockeries or uh, they would despise them in all kinds of ways because they hated the Samaritans. And so Jesus makes a Samaritan one of these uh, people who were outcasts and considered scum by the Jewish people. He makes a Samaritan the star of the story, and he makes religious leaders, like the religious leader asking him a question, the enemies or the villains of the story. And so Jesus was not making friends here with this story. This was highly controversial, what he was saying. So you have a religious leader asking, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells a story where the religious leaders are the bad guys, and the Samaritans, who the religious leaders hate, are actually the hero. Notice when the man, Jesus asked, who showed compassion? Who acted neighborly? The man said, the one who showed compassion. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan because he despised them so much. He couldn't even make his mouth form the word. So, <clears throat> who is our neighbor? That's a question we have to wrestle with as we look at this, right? Who is our neighbor? And I think that Jesus' passage here actually teaches us some practical elements about who our neighbors are. Neighbors are, first of all, people in pain, they're people in proximity, and they're people that we have the power to help. Not everyone is hurting around you, but if there's someone hurting, you should help them. Not everyone is nearby where you can actually impact them and help their hurt, but some are. And finally, not everyone has uh, an issue that you can actually help with, but there are people that need your help and that you can help with. I love what Dallas Willard said. He said, as you look at this passage, our tendency is to think about the neighbors on either side of our home and forget the neighbors that live within the home with us. There's people who live with you, your spouse or your roommate or your children, and they need you to show compassion to them just as much as your neighbors on either side of you. Jesus essentially says that if we're going to be kingdom people, if we're going to be people who have Jesus as king, we need to show compassion to the people around us. We need to switch the center of our lives from ourselves and begin to center ourselves around others. Jesus was the most other-centered person who ever lived. And if we make him king of our lives, if we become students of the way that he lived and loved, we're going to begin centering our lives around other people's pain instead of around our problems. Now, this means you don't just ignore your problems, but it means that you show compassion when the people around you are hurting. Plato has this great quote that I remind myself of constantly, and he says, remember, everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. 
I usually think about the hard battle I'm fighting and I get annoyed by the people around me and I have to remember they're fighting a hard battle too. Some of them are fighting much harder battles than what I'm facing. Like sometimes we begin to focus so much on our problems, we forget the pain of people hurting much, much worse all around us. When we're center focused, all we can look at is our problems. When we're other focused, we begin to notice and we begin to intervene and enter into people's pain around us. You know, these religious leaders were so focused on their spiritual religious tasks that they missed a real life opportunity to impact a person. They've so divided up the physical from the spiritual that they saw an unhealthy and honestly unbiblical separation between the body and the soul. The Bible talks about these as one intertwined being. And they thought, no, it's better to go to Jerusalem and serve the spiritual lives of people than it is to meet the physical needs of people. Jesus saw these two as intertwined. He would teach people spiritual truth, but he would also feed and heal their physical bodies. We need to do the same. We need to recognize that people not only have emotional and spiritual needs, they need to know that Jesus as king leads to the most abundant, eternal life that you can have. The greatest human life you can live on this planet is living and loving like Jesus, becoming a student of the way that he treated people and the way that he lived. And that's a life that's so good, so rich, so connected to eternal God that you will live even beyond death. But that doesn't exclude us from meeting the needs of people who are hungry and hurting and who have very real, very physical needs all around us. So at the end of this, Jesus said, he praised the Samaritan who showed compassion on the man. And he tells this teacher of the law who had done all these great things. He had memorized most of the Old Testament, if not the entire thing. I haven't done that. You probably haven't done that either. And Jesus says, you know what? That doesn't matter if you don't love your neighbor. He says, a Samaritan acted better than you did because they showed compassion. So what does it look like to show compassion? Number one, listen. Take time to actually hear what people are saying and hear where people are hurting. A lot of times people are very private, they keep things in, but you can get little glimpses of how they're hurting and where they might need help or healing. Listen, don't be the first to speak, don't be the last, don't get the last word. Listen to what people are saying, hear what they're saying, process it, and respond. Another important part I think about compassion is taking opportunities to do good where you can. Now, anytime I hear the word neighbor, I get a little bit on edge because for two and a half years, I lived downstairs from five Villanova college students. And so my neighbors were five partying, uh, late night, staying up all night, stomping around, playing music, listening to karaoke, playing beer pong out of my front yard. And I'm a little bit on edge just hearing the word neighbor, like, oh, neighbors, right? What this means is that if we are going to show compassion to people, we are going to pray for and work for and hope for the good of those people. And so that might start with the people in your home. You can draw a circle and you say, these are the people who live in my home. Then you might draw a bigger circle and say, these are the people I encounter each week. It might be people in your office. It might be people in your extended family. It might be people in your apartment building or on your street. You draw the bigger circle. And then you might draw a bigger circle out around this and say, these are people I encounter every month. 
and begin to think about how can I pray for, work for, and hope for the good of each of these people. For me, it helps to write things out. You might just sit down and write out and say, okay, I want to see good things happen to these people. How can I begin to implement good things for them? How can I begin to come alongside them and help them achieve good things in their lives? Now, it's interesting when Jesus asked this man, how, um, when this man asked Jesus, how do you inherit eternal life? Jesus said, what does the law say? And the man said, love the Lord your God and then love your neighbor. Jesus said, you've got it right. I think what he's saying you got right was you got the, the flow of how compassion works right. If you haven't first experienced compassion from God the Father, you won't be able to share compassion with other people you encounter. If we've been forgiven much, we'll be able to forgive much. And so we have to go back and remind ourselves of how much Yahweh loves us, that he sent his son Jesus into the world to die in our place so that we might be connected to him forever. If we don't remind ourselves of God's love, we won't be able to show divine love to people who don't deserve it, who really honestly sometimes may hurt us or harm us. Uh, it will be impossible to pray for and hope and work for their good unless first we've experienced abundant, undeserved good from God the Father. So, I hope that this helps you as you are a neighbor, love your neighbors, love the people around you. You have been strategically placed in the family, in the neighborhood, in the community, in the city where you live and dwell and work. You've been strategically placed here by your King Jesus in order to spread light into the darkness, in order to spread love amidst the hate, in order to do good.